It's a lovely epistle that John had written. And uh, as we said, it's a, it's a book of joy, but also a book of fellowship. And God wants us as believers to have fellowship with one another, be of the same accord, and rejoice in the great God and Saviour that we have, and to bear fruit, more fruit, and, and much fruit. And we glorify God when we bear much fruit. And as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, this epistle helps us to do that. And we read in our text there this morning, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Heavenly Father, just uh, help us this morning to come to a, a greater understanding and a knowledge of your will for our lives. That, uh, Lord, that our spiritual knowledge would grow and increase as we allow the Holy Spirit to have his way and do his work in our lives this morning and every day, Lord. May your word dwell richly in our hearts and that you and you alone be the one glorified today. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The need for cleansing. And I'm talking about the believer's need for cleansing. This is the first part of a two-part message. Um, uh, chapter 2 and those first couple of verses there, to, they, they need a message of their own. But uh, today we're going to look firstly at the believer's need for cleansing. Now we've got to keep in mind that this letter was written to believers. Why? So they may experience the fullness of joy that, that salvation brings and the way in which that blessing is to be fully known in, in a believer's life. Now, it doesn't matter how consecrated we may be or how separated we are from the world, no matter how holy we may become, we will never in this body of flesh pass beyond the need for cleansing. 1 Corinthians 10.12 reminds us, Wherefore, let he that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. Now the first point we're looking at is the root of sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now sin has roots and sin also bears fruit. And as believers, we need to be able to, to see the difference between the two. And here we're looking at the root of sin. See, all are born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Scripture tells us there's none righteous, no, not one. And it was through Adam's disobedience that all mankind have the nature of sin within them. In other words, we're, we're, we're all sinners. Even if a person could live above sin after they reach the age of accountability until they die... If his or her character were absolutely unmarked by sin, they still could not say, I have no sin. Because all mankind has descended from Adam and that makes all born sinners through inheriting Adam's sin nature. Now Ecclesiastes 7.20 reminds us, for there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Not one person has ever been born into this world without sin except the Lord Jesus Christ. Not one. The bodies of flesh in which we live 
have been fashioned after sin. There are those who teach that it's possible to wipe out the root of sin, but the Bible says that's impossible. There's no sinless perfection. Many try to teach that, but there's none. The most set-apart believer who would live the holiest of lives is nothing more but a poor sinner saved by God's grace. That's exactly where we are. And I said to you last week, we need more men, more preachers willing to stand up and give the congregation the truth of God. There are those who teach that you can wipe away the root of sin. But the Bible says it's impossible. While there is a root, there is always, always the opportunity for fruit. You, know, you can cut down a tree all you like, it'll sprout back. While the root is there, fruit can come. And as long as we live, we will be in a battle with our own flesh. But thanks be to God, the, the, the Holy Spirit is the victor over the flesh. He's the divine agent who, who, who lives within us and, and gives us victory. And we looked in our study of Galatians 5.16, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's a promise from God. Listen, brothers and sisters, there's no denying sin is attractive. Sin's very attractive. But we know sin only goes for a season and then you've got to pay the piper. And you can take a mould, and whether it's a concrete mould or, or a cake mould, whatever it is, and you pour a substance into that mould, when you tip that mould, tip that substance out of that mould, it gives an identical reproduction of what comes out of it. Now, if the mould has a floor or a chip or a small hole in it, then what comes out of that mould will have that same chip or mark or hole. And that's what we bear being descended from Adam. We bear the scar, the mark of Adam's fall. And sin is attractive. Why, why do you think Eve fell for it? Yes, Satan's the deceiver, the liar, the father of all lies. But, but he attracted her with, with a piece of fruit. Can you imagine how beautiful that piece of fruit must have been in a garden that had no sin at that time when it was there? Sin is also universal. In the first Adam, all die, all are lost in sin, all are under the dominion and power of sin. But in the last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, all who are believers, all who have placed their faith and trust in Him, are saved from sin and from the curse of the fall. And it is in Jesus and only Jesus, the righteous one, who can present us as faultless to the Father. We can't do it. There's nothing in us that could ever justify us before God. It is believing in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ and placing our faith in what He accomplished that makes us right before our Heavenly Father. He is the propitiation for our sins and the sins of the whole world. 1 John 2, 2. Now, propitiation is a big word that 
It's a hard word to get out sometimes, but it simply means to appease an offended person to restore a relationship broken by an offence. Man's sin against holy God, the broken relationship has been restored through the finished work of Christ on the cross at Calvary. He is our Redeemer. He is our Sustainer. He is our Justifier. He is our leader and protector. He and He alone is the Saviour of mankind. And He has promised the believer never to leave them nor forsake them. Now Jesus said to us in Matthew 10.32, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. Not one Christian, not one, not one person, not, not one Christian is above sin. If you place a magnet in a pile of sawdust, what happens? Nothing. You put a magnet in the, the, a pile of iron filings and they just cling to one another. The iron shavings are immediately attracted to the magnet. There's something in the magnet the filings find attractive. And the same is true concerning the flesh, the believer's old nature and sin. You see, sin is attractive. We live in bodies attracted by sin. You study Romans 7 up to 8.1.3. It is only in the resurrection or if the Lord comes before we die and takes us out of this world that we're going to be rid of this body of flesh, this body of sin and have that new glorious body that will not only be free from sin but a body that can no longer sin. What a blessing that day is going to be. But as long as we are living in this flesh... We need to be praying, dear God, watch my lips. Dear God, guard my steps. Dear God, deliver me from the temptations. Dear Father, guide me around the potholes Satan is laying out in my daily life for me. You see, Satan does not want any believer to know the full joy of their salvation in Christ. It's a joyful thing to be saved. It's an unspeakable joy. But he wants to ruin that joy and he has a, a, a great way of doing it. He has many tricks and many temptations. He cannot have the believer's soul so he wants their joy. His goal is to try and make a believer to fall and to become a reproach instead of a blessing to the cause of Christ and Christ's church. And if we say we have no sin, then we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now that's a, that's a pretty awesome statement. Because as I studied and looked most people and most commentaries left the last phrase off. 
They did. They were happy to say if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, but not many wanted to comment on the next part, and the truth is not in us. You see, sin is strong. Whoever claims to be completely holy and without sin and cannot sin knows little of their own heart. They know little of the weakness of man's flesh. They know little of the wiles of the devil. And this person deceives only one person and that is themselves because they're certainly not deceiving God. They're not deceiving anybody but themselves. God's word clearly states and the truth is not in us. Now for a believer, we are to walk in the truth. We are to live in the truth. And if we are saying we have no sin or think we're living above sin, we're, we're deceiving ourselves. We're not living by that truth. But there's also the other side of that. There are many, many who say that they're Christians and they're deceiving themselves. And the Word of God says the truth is not in us. If the truth is not in a person, then Jesus is not in that person because Jesus said, I am the truth. If the truth is not in a person, then God's word is not in that person because God's word is truth. You know, we're born again through the word, 1 Peter 1.23, and without the word, there can be no new birth. So the truth is, if Christ is not in a person, if God's word is not in that person, then they are lost. So the person who claims to have no sin is deceiving themselves and they're deceived because they're lost. You know, when a person holds themselves in such high esteem, it's almost certain they haven't accepted Christ as their saviour. You see, it's the sick who welcome the physician. It's the sick who need the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives to convince them of sin. And until one is convinced of sin, they will never, ever be led to seek the righteousness of God by faith through the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to bring a person to the point where they recognize, hey, I'm lost. And as you witness to people and as you share to people, it's one thing to pull a tract out and give them the whole thing, but are you bringing them to the point where they recognize they're lost and need to be saved? Secondly, the forgiveness of sin. Verse 9. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness another thing about sin is sin is just so usual it's just so usual notice it says if we confess our sins doesn't say if they confess their sins 
If that lot over there confess theirs, this is talking about the born again child of God. We and are are personal pronouns. It is we who are created in Christ. We are to confess our sins. We need to confess our sins because not one believer is above sin. We are commanded to examine ourselves, to judge ourselves, not to judge the person nearest to us or that lot over there. Don't bother about judging them. If we confess our sins, then God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. You see, we've got to be willing to face God's word with open hearts and, and open minds, not trying to prove some church doctrine that coming to church and taking the Lord's table is going to make you right with God because it won't. That being baptized will make you right with God, it won't. We need to face the Bible truth and we can and we will see just how short we are of the glory of God and we will see how sadly sinful we really are and that we will confess our sins, not worry about anyone else's and allow God to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, God's at work in the believer and he, he, He's causing the, the ungodliness of the flesh to fade slowly away. And the work of the Holy Spirit uh, upon our souls is not expected by many people, many believers. They just sit back and think one day everything's going to be fine and one day they, they, they'll be all right and, and they, they, they don't have to worry about anything. And they don't expect the Holy Spirit to do anything in their lives. They miss out on the conviction that he brings. They deny his leading. They deny his prompting in their hearts and souls. And he cannot build on the old foundation, you see. We've got to be stripped before we can be clothed. We must have our sins brought before us before we can confess them and we cannot be cleansed by God until we clearly see and confess the sins in our lives. And if we're not mourning the fact that, that, that uh, we are all together an unclean thing, how can we ever have the true value of the, the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? How can we ever understand it? It cleanses us from all sin. That's, the, that's how valuable it is. Nothing else can do it. Nothing else will. No matter how holy we try and live, how righteous we try and be, Sin will always be there and we will always need to be cleansed in only one way, through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and not under the blood, you will die in your sin and be in hell for eternity. 
But if you're here today and you are under the blood, you want the joy of a Christian life? You want to know what it's like to be awake and alive in church instead of asleep and waiting to get home? Then understand what you've been saved from. An eternity in hell and how you've been saved through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And too often, having begun in the Spirit, we act as if we're going to be made perfect in the flesh. Isn't that true? Say amen. Amen. Oh, that's a quiet one. One honest person in the whole group. And when our mistaken building up of ourselves is leveled, we are almost as astonished as we were when the scales first fell from our eyes and we recognised the sinful state we were in and the need for us to be saved. Listen, we sin, and let's not deny it, we sin, why? Because we're sinners. It's as simple as that. Even though we're saved by God's grace, we still have the old nature tagging along with us. You know, look, a sheep is not a sheep because it produces wool. It produces wool because it's a sheep. A rooster is not a rooster because it crows. It crows because it is a rooster. Sin was our nature when we were born into this world. And when we were born again, God put a new nature within us, a a new heart. But he does not give us new flesh. We will not receive the new flesh until the day of glory. And that'll be a wonderful and an amazing day. Listen, I'm, I'm so thankful to God and let's praise God that Jesus wasn't only concerned with the characteristics of sin, but also with the nature of sin. So he didn't come to just take away the fruits of sin. He came to put another root within us completely. And we know that greater is he that is in you, that's the Holy Spirit, than he that is in the world, the devil devil, the the great tempter of our souls. You see, when we were born again, God puts a divine nature within us and and we become like a, a, how would you put, a dual citizen. That's what we are. We still have the old nature, the flesh, but we have the, the divine nature within us. Our hearts are now indwelt by God's spirit. And here's the struggle. And it's a great struggle, but I can put it simply, and it's very simple. The struggle is simple. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Doesn't take much. Romans 8, 9 reminds us, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. For as many as are led of the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. 
Galatians 5.16 says, This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But look what we're told. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you cannot do the things that ye would. There's the struggle. A little bit of leaven leaveneth the whole lump. You know, we're commanded and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, uh, grieve not the Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. See, when Jesus went to the cross, he dealt with both the characteristics as well as the character of sin. And he has put within us another root, that's the Holy Spirit, and we live now in the fruit of the Spirit. Now, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, I won't read them all, but the, the fruit of the Spirit, what we've got, we've got love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, faith, meekness, temperance. And I love the end of that little passage of Scripture because against there is no law. You can love me all you like, brothers and sisters. I won't hold anything against you. Amen. You see, becoming a Christian is a real big deal. See, when an unbeliever gets saved, when they become a Christian, it's God's greatest miracle. Jesus called it a birth. Now, only a mother can know the pain and the anxiety and the travail of birth and many times the anguish. But when new life comes into the world, there's joy. But only God knows, and this is true, only God knows what it cost Him, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all of heaven to make possible the new birth from above. The new birth, the spiritual birth, absolutely necessary for the saving of our souls. Now, we, we don't study it long enough and hard enough. We want to know all these little petty truths, well, not petty truths, all the, all, the, all the little truths that are in the Bible, and yet we fail to, to really take the time to sit at the foot of the cross and allow God to show us and speak to us just what it cost to save our souls. You see, when a person becomes a Christian, they don't become a better man or woman. They don't just change their ways. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that we become new. New creatures, new men, new women, new boys, new girls. Mark reminds us, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. You know, reading that, we see one must become humble. And have the faith of a, a little child before they're truly going to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's scratch the surface a little bit. Let's dig a little bit deeper. 
unless big men are willing to become as little children all over again actually being born babes in Christ they cannot enter heaven if one hopes to enter the kingdom of heaven there must be a new beginning and we are told this means born of God and when one is born of God they are a babe in Christ but they are also a new creation they follow the steps of Jesus because they possess the divine nature they walk the paths of righteousness because they're led by the Holy Spirit within them that is why Christians live differently because they are different doesn't take much when your children are little for you to recognize they're walking the exact same steps you take and the very things you say will eventually come out of their mouths the way you think will be formed in them and they will begin to think the same way and if a mum and dad aren't prepared to walk the ways of Christ what makes them think their children are going to do it when they have to make a decision see the reason many church members cannot live right because they can't stay straight and on the narrow path is because they've simply never been born again and made new in Christ they've never been born of the Spirit and just like a pig returns to the mud unsaved church members cannot help but return to the elements of this world because they need a new heart they need a new nature they need to be born from above to change believers live differently because God has put a new heart within them believers live differently because God is at work in theirs, those hearts you know dogs bark because they're dogs that's why they bark they don't meow sheep bleat because they sheep they don't moo and the believer walks with Christ because we are believers in Christ Ezekiel 36 26 says to us a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them now we're given the sad picture of an unsaved heart in Mark 7 21 for from within out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts adulteries, fornications, murderers, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and defile the man. 
See, but the good news is if we confess our sins, that's right. If a believer will just confess to God both the sins of omission, you know, what we should do but don't do, and the sins of commission, what we shouldn't do but do do, God will not only forgive, he will cleanse and abundantly pardon. And forgiveness comes as a result of true confession on the part of those, that one who seeks forgiveness. Remember the prodigal son, he said in Luke 15, 18, when he recognized the state he was in, he said, I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I wonder when the last time we were humble enough to say those words to our God. David in Psalm 51. Look at these words. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. What does he say? Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. You know, God is a faithful God. God is faithful to all his children. And isn't it a blessing to know there's no favorites in God's family? He loves us equally. And I'd also like to say on that note, if we're believers and we know people who are lost, living lives that are deceitful and wicked and horrible. Just remember something. God doesn't love them any less than he loves anybody else. Before we judge them too harshly. Or you can judge what's wrong, but leave the judgment of men to God. You know, God will do exactly what he's promised to do. And he'll forgive us when we sin, when we confess it. And the truth is that God must be faithful because he's God. If he was going to be unfaithful, then, then he would just cease to be God. But through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, God can be just and at the same time justify the ungodly. Romans chapter 3 tells us, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now I know we're all intelligent people, but when we get home today, let's go and get our dictionaries out and look at the word all. Amen? That's all. But we're told being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God had set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Remember, propitiation to make right someone who's offended someone. To declare his righteousness for the remissions of sin that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. And now I love this verse. Well, where is the boasting then? 
it is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. You see, not only is God faithful to forgive our sins, he's faithful to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, righteousness is imputed, and that means that the righteousness uh, of Christ is the believer's through their faith in him. And when God sees us, he sees his son's righteousness in us. And when God imputes righteousness, all unrighteousness must go because the two can't live together. Ultimately, in the end, God will remove all the stains of guilt from our soul and spirits and our body. One day, very soon, we're going to stand before him in glory, holy, cleansed, without spot, without wrinkle, and it is only ours through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the unsearchable riches of God's grace. Thirdly, quickly, the act of sin. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Listen, this is straight up talk. Any child with any understanding can understand this. The person who boasts that they do not sin makes God a liar. And God's word declares that all have sinned. And God's word says, there's not a just man on this earth that doeth good and sinneth not. And verse 10, it's telling us that sin is an act and we have all sinned. And even when we do our very best, we have to admit that we're nothing more than an unprofitable servant. At our very best, we still come short of the glory of God. But we can have victories. One Thessalonians five twenty three tells us, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, as believers, we should be blameless. And by that I mean we live above reproach. We live lives that men may look upon and what they see is Jesus in our daily walk, in our daily talk, in our habits. Not sinless, but blameless. Now, Matthew 5, 48, Jesus said we were to be perfect as God is perfect. Now, that's impossible. And what was meant there when Jesus spoke that, he's talking about in our sphere, in our walk. We are to be perfect in the way God is perfect in his sphere. In our sphere as believers, we are to be blameless. We should be blameless. Lives that can't be criticized by the Lord's enemies. And for those who really desire the victory, that's theirs. 
1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. We've got a way out, you see. James 4.17 tells us, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. You see, to live blameless lives, we, we live and walk the life that Christ asks us to walk. And it's a sin to fall short of doing all the good and living in all the godliness we possibly can. And if we say we've got no sin, then we're making out God to be a liar. Now, there may be a difference of, in the degree of sin. There are some terrible, unspeakable sinners out there, while some are nice, mild, religious sinners. They even belong to church. There's a difference in the degree of sin, but there's no difference in the disease of sin. Every one of us have it. The symptoms might not be as visible in some as in others, but we all have it. And the Word of God is not in us if we're going to deny that fact. And here's the truth. The sinner is saved and cleansed by the precious blood of Christ. We looked at last week at verse 7 of 1 John. If we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, redemption is God's gift to hell-deserving sinners through the finished work of the Son of God. We have been redeemed by his blood and after we are born again, we are not called upon to make painful sacrifices. We're not called upon to, to voluntarily flog ourselves or to pay penances. We don't have to make any pilgrimages. God requires of us that we confess Him and confess to Him when we sin and He forgives us for Christ's sake. You are not going to get a better deal in life than that. It's the best deal there is. And He says to us, and I thank the Lord for this church and the spirit of fellowship in this church because Ephesians 4.32 reminds us, And be ye kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You ever come across those Christians? They're a bit like cactuses. They're a bit prickly at times. Amen? Come on, we can all be prickly to somebody else. But God says to us, hang on a minute. It's the same blood that saved you and washed you and cleansed you that saved that guy next to you and washed and cleansed him. Be of one accord. Be kind. Be tender-hearted. Forgive one another. Why? Because that's exactly what God did for us through Jesus Christ. I want to leave you with just a couple of verses, but a question. Is your faith in his finished work? Is that where you stand today? Habakkuk 2.4 says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. 
Romans 1.17, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, The just shall live by faith. Galatians 3.11, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Hebrews 10.38, Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Is that where you are today? You've believed to the saving of your soul? I hope so. My question to finish off now is, what has the Holy Spirit laid on your heart today? And the way you and I respond to his promptings can and will determine the fullness of joy we have in Christ. It will also determine your place in eternity. Where do you stand? Where do you stand? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of our salvation. We thank you, Lord, that we live in a fallen world. All of us face trials, sufferings, and heartache brought upon us from this world and also, Lord, brought upon us because of our own selves, because we still have that root within us. But thank you, Lord, you've placed another one there. We thank you that we have the gift of your spirit within us through the work of Christ. And we can live above the trials and we can live above this world with an unshakable faith that comes from you. Thank you, Lord. Help us, just like Daniel, to refuse the compromise because of our love for you. Help us, Lord, to stand firm to the truth that we may today be in the place of an extreme testing. Lord, let us not be afraid. You know. And as we look to you and take the steps of faith, you will protect us, forgive us, and cleanse us. Lord, if there's any here today that have not received you as their saviour, that they not depart until they have. And for any of us, Lord, who have had a spiritual checkup this morning, may we be honest about it before you, that our joy be restored simply through the wonderful blessing you have given to us if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.